Our scripture this morning comes from John 15, 9 through 27. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to you. I. Uh, and I really love you walking us through Romans 12 there. I know this is uh, that, I, I just thought that was a, a real beautiful way to capture like what was in my heart this morning for moms and uh, just the complicated nature sometimes of our lives, of humanity. And uh, so thanks for that, Trevor. That was, that was a beautiful way to direct our hearts this morning. Um, it's also my birthday. Um, so happy birthday to me. I don't mind sharing it with moms. I don't. I, I don't mind sharing that at all with moms. I, uh, I was told this morning that somebody had brought donuts in for me in the basement. So afterwards, you guys can come down and have donuts for my birthday, sort of a special treat for you. Um, <clears throat> I feel bad, though, because I got up early this morning, just woke up and, and couldn't go back to sleep. It's kind of a normal thing for Sundays, and, and I made my way in, and I felt bad for leaving Amy at home, you know, to get the kids up and dress them and, you know, get them off to church, you know, teenagers these days. Um, but she's back in serving with the kids and, and uh, with both of my kids serving together. So I think that's special in some way um, to her. Probably depends on how well you did as a parent this morning, you know, balanced meal versus a Pop-Tart in the mouth on the way here. So, hey, um, mothers, we love you. We pray that in some way um, you would feel the honor, love, and preciousness um, that you are, uh, the gift that you are by God. So thankful for you. This morning we're continuing in this upper room discourse, this, this John chapter 15. Last week Howard led us in 
to Jesus's words of abiding and what that means. And, and really the call was like, just for us to see like who Jesus is and like he's the only way. And it's, it's the big deal of our faith, right? Like abiding in Christ. And we focused on that. Today we continue with that message actually. It's kind of like picking up that message and then having a really long um, application, you know, to that message, that truth, that preaching of, of Jesus's words last week. That's sort of what today is. And I, I felt like this, this week as I was reading the passage, I was like, man, I actually have a really easy job. Sometimes I come to a text, I'm like, whew, this is a task today. And then sometimes I look at one and I'm like, this is actually pretty easy. Like this is a pretty easy text because Jesus is the actually the one who's teaching about his kingdom here and what it means to be one of his followers. And so like Jesus is a great teacher. And, and listen, the pulpit in, in the local church is sort of like two things are happening. One is the teaching of God's word. So we're setting a nail. And then, and then there's the preaching of God's word, which is like driving the nail, okay, flush. So, so the pulpit sort of in some messages is a little bit of teaching and then preaching and it just kind of changes. So you might notice sometimes like, man, I love it when the preacher preaches. And some of you are like, I really love teaching. I love an outline. I'd love 12 points and four sub points. Like we, we have sort of different like things, but Jesus is doing both today. Like he's doing both. He's informing the 12 about what the kingdom of God is and he's driving it into them. That's what he's doing. And so I just, I have an easy job in the sense of like, I, I dare not get in his way because he's really good at it. But then I got to thinking about midweek, I, I got to thinking, oh man, I actually have a hard task. I actually have a harder task today than I realized because the stakes are really high. The stakes are high. And, and when Jesus sets into the disciples what it means to be a follower of him, the stakes are high. The stakes are high because for generations we've seen people want to take Jesus's words and, and, and sort of mold and make them into how they want to follow Jesus. And Jesus is going, listen, you've been with me, you've been in this thing, and I just, I'm getting ready to leave and I want you to know and there's person changing, there's mind clearing, there's life altering realities in this text for us. So in that regard, I feel like I have a hard job. There are things here that some Christians are missing and there's a source of a lot of pain and frustration in your life because of that and in your experience in the church because of that. So I feel like this is a simple message, but it isn't an easy message. It's a simple message, but it's not an easy one. And Jesus's invitation to us to abide this morning, it's, it's not just about quiet times. It's not just about... Um, quiet times and devotionals and, and that type of thing. It is that also, but it's, it's about God's plan for our whole lives. That's what it's about. 
So, so even I was just blessed this morning as we're singing and the, and the message that I heard, I don't know if you were hearing it, sometimes we can hear different things, but the message I kept hearing was um, just like the part of me that, that isn't really following God, right? Like that just sort of is wondering and getting the part of my mind, the part of my emotions and that sort of like wanders away from God, you know, like I just, I felt the call to come, to come back and put Jesus in the center of my life, even just momentarily. That's what I felt. I hope you feel that call through this text also. Let's pray and jump in. <clears throat> Father, um, you made uh, a wonderful, wonderful planet. You made a bright and beautiful world. It shines. It, it resembles your glory. It's pleasing to us. It's full of all kinds of things that is pleasing to us. And God's sin has corrupted it. It has corrupted creation and it draws us into its charm. We're intoxicated with creation and not you the creator. We gladly exchange the only thing that can truly satisfy us for what amounts to junk food that, that tastes good but's gone in a second and leaves us empty and malnourished. And so, Lord, we, we pray this morning that through your word you would wake us up where we are sleeping. God, we pray that you would give us new life where there are dead branches. We pray that you would even prune us back where there are wild shoots and where you are needing your discipline. So Lord, help us. Help me to honor you with my lips. And may the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh God. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So let's look at chapter 15 together. We're, we're actually going to just back up a little bit because I don't think we can actually teach this passage without looking back for just a second at sort of the outflow of the call to abide. And I have three main sections today is what abiding means, right? Like, what does it mean to abide? Like, how do you know that you are doing that? That would be great to know is like, so, do you know like, I'm an abiding Christian, and I can confidently say that, and I can teach you how to come alongside and do that with me. Like, like that's, I think, is an important thing, not to just say, abide in Christ. What's it look like? Day to day, what's it look like? What are your priorities? What is abiding? What is it? So three, three things that I'm just going to pick out of, of sections here. One, a life of abiding is a life of worship. A life of abiding is a life of worship. Two, a life of abiding, a life of abiding is a life in community. Not just any community, but a community that we're going to talk about in a minute. And then three, a life of abiding is a life on God's mission. Like this is how we know that we are obedient to Jesus's words. This is how we know that, okay? That's what we're going to see today in our passage. A life of abiding is marked by a life of worship. Verses one through nine 
are the basis for Christian worship. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So what we see in this is, is worship. We see, we see, first of all, in verse one, who God is. You don't worship something you don't know. We see who God is. I am the true vine, Jesus says. My father is the vine dresser. There's no ambiguity about who God is. There's none. He says, I'm the true vine. The father is the vine dresser. And over and over and over and over again in scripture, God tells us who he is. Who he is. There's no ambiguity in scripture about who God is. And we have to get this right. We have to. God is a person who, yeah, he's set apart, he's holy, and there's some ways in which the limits of God and the magnificence of God and the glory of God is, is sort of impossible for us to fully lay hold of as his creation. Like, he's holy, he's set apart, his love is pure in a way that we just, we don't know on this earth. Like, that's true, yes, but God has made himself known. He's, he's come, he's not stayed away from us. He's come into our, our misery and our sadness and, and, and he has shown us who he is. We know who God is and that's the basis of our worship is God's glory, him going public with his attributes, with him saying, hey, here's, here's what I do. Here's what I'm doing throughout creation. I'm bringing a people to myself. I'm, I'm pushing for this this glory-filled day, like this eternal kingdom. God's resume for us has been on display. We know who he is and we have to get it right. We have to get it right and we have to stand up for who God is in our life. That's a life that is marked by worship. So we see in verse one who God is. Verse two, we see who God's people are. We're branches. We're branches. See, like God's always showing us who he is and showing us who we are. We're the branches. And our main purpose, our main purpose is the purpose of a branch. It's to grow fruit. It's to be connected to the vine and it's to grow fruit. Like that's our purpose. We are supposed to display the glory of God. We're supposed to display the glory of God his divine attributes being made public through you and through me. Like that's what God's doing in the church. That's what God's doing in Christians. Like that's what we're supposed to be doing. Saved, saved to display the glory of God. That's what we're saved for. Where my own barren, powerless inability exists God grasps me in, he grafts me into his vine and he produces life. The sap of God's character and his power in the spirit flows through me and I start to look more like him. Life emerges, growth emerges. Cuts that cause growth exist. As Howard showed us last week, so we see who God is, we know who we are. And the third thing that we see is that we're marked by God's word in worship. Like that is a, a pervasive reality in John chapter 15 that Jesus doesn't want anybody to miss. He wants us to see 
that a life of worship and abiding in this passage means that you're marked by God's word. You're marked by the Bible. You're marked by the, the, by the word of God. Verse three, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. It is the gospel, in the gospel, the word of God comes to us and it cleanses us. That's how God cleanses us. And he continues to do that work every day for the rest of our lives. You were saved, Christian, because the word of God came to you and said Jesus laid his life down for you so that your shame and your sins would be remembered no more. The word of God in the gospel came to you and spoke freedom and forgiveness and grace and love. And God's word every day continues to speak to us that. It continues to cleanse us. We need that cleansing. We need it. A life of abiding is a life wrapped in God's word. And yet, in every generation, there are many, many Christians who never experienced that type of abiding in God's word. There's always something else to spend our time doing. There's always something that seems more fun. There's always something that seems um, like more exciting and it catches our eye. There's just, all, right? Like we all feel this, we all experience it. What would it look like to be a generation of Christians that truly abided in the powerful, life-transforming word of God every day, every day. That's what Jesus wants for his followers. That's what it means. And finally, a life of abiding worship, it's marked by prayer. Look at verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. That's, that's pretty powerful and strange. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What a calling. If your life's marked by this abiding and God's word is in you, it will be a life of prayer. It will be. It cannot not be a life of prayer and there are two powerful promises here in this is that like, your prayers are going to get answered. That's strange. So if we're abiding, pastor, are you saying that God's going to answer more of my prayers? Yes. Actually, I'm not saying it. Who cares what I think? I'm saying that the word of God says, if you abide in him and his word is in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Because God's word says it. And I think here's the secret is that the abiding Christian with God's word rooted in them, with God's word rooted deeply in them, prays according to God's will. And God loves to do his work through his people's prayer. That's the reality. I think that's the message that we see here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And for 2,000 years, abiding Christians have experienced God's power 
through their intercession and they have changed the world around them because of it. And in every generation, there are many Christians that live a life never marked by prayer, that's never infused with the faith-filled practices of Jesus' calling to abide. They're not. What if a generation of Christians or just a group of Christians were marked in this way? Verse eight, by this, my father is glorified. God's glorified through this type of a life. It's not just songs sang in worship. It's not just the front facing, the beautiful white steeple. Thanks, Chris. Um, Like, it's not just the front facing reality to the world. It's like God is glorified. He is made famous through the word of God being in you and through prayer and through your constant um, living your life connected to him. There's glory. That's what we're here for. We're the branches. We glorify the vine. Number two, a life of abiding is a life of community. It's not just about worship. You're saved. You worship. You're saved to worship God with your whole lives. But when you get saved, you move into this this community. Look at verse nine with me. I want to show you something. Verse nine, as the Father has loved me, Jesus the Father, right? Two, Two persons of of the Trinity here in view. As the Father has loved me, comma, so I have loved you. So I have loved you. Jesus and the Father eternally existing with the Spirit in in, in what Lewis called the dance, like the, the, the beauty of this Trinitarian relationship. And Jesus going, listen, my Father and I have experienced this love together. We don't know about the spirit yet. We're getting ready in the next few weeks to to know more about God's spirit. But but, but in this moment, Jesus is telling his followers, look, look what exists. Look what exists between me and my father. Perfect love, perfect unity, perfection. And I have loved you. Welcome in. I have loved you. So abide in my love. So Jesus is saying that through the gospel, God's mutual love that he, that he has eternally experienced in perfect fulfillment for all of eternity, right? Like past, like he's experienced that. He's inviting us in. That's the basis of Christian community. God's mutual love. So I have loved you. That's an invitation for us to experience what sin lost in the garden. That's, that's an invitation to us. To, to become Christ's people, to, to the spirit of adoption, to welcome us in to God's family. I, you need to see this. That community, it's a divine reality. It's, it's not something we produce. We can't, through good logos and ways we say about it and you know, strategy about groups and things like we can't produce it. All we can do is try to attach ourselves to what God's doing in his church, right? Like it's a divine reality. It's the spirit of of adoption and Jesus building his church. That's what we're trying to step into with community. It's really important that we see this. It's really important that you're not chasing this idea of community that doesn't exist. 
It doesn't exist. Hey, we're all lonely people. We all need friends, but we chase sometimes out of our needs and out of our pain and our losses something that doesn't exist. Look at what exists. What exists is divine community. Bonhoeffer says this and how we relate to the church in this. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may, may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. Christian community is not ours. It's not ours, it's his. It is a reality. It's not as Bonhoeffer would call a wish dream. It's a divine reality, and the invitation is into God's loving community. I wonder how churches would change. I wonder how fellowship, I wonder how unity, I wonder how mission, all of these things would change if we could see this, and we could see that Jesus is offering his disciples in this moment a part of God, like a part of him to step into it, to, to become part of it. And all we can do then is steward it, right? Like we, we come into it, we, we cultivate, we don't create it. We cultivate it around us as God's stewards, obeying together God's word, being full of God's enabling spirit together. That's what we do. Verse nine, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 12, as we say yes to community, we see others have also arrived into God's community, right? Like that's the reality. Jesus immediately turns in verse, verse 12 and says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another. Second you're into God's community, you look around and you go, oh, it's not just about me. It's not just me and Jesus. There's no framework for me and Jesus in scripture, it's always a brother, a sister, right? Next to us, a church, that's always the case and we see that here in verse 12. Love one another. Immediately, as God invites us into his community, he's like, you better love one another, like immediately, right? We have a dog, Charlie, our golden retriever. Um, he's, a, he's always been a sweet dog, just a loving dog. You come over, he'll love you to death. Until you stop loving him, he will love you. He used to not be, um, he used to be a real good dog around other dogs. And I, I you know, we'd have, we'd dog sit for people. Um, but he got attacked a few times at the dog park. And now we'll just say like he's, um, he's suspicious around other animals, right? Like he, in fact, when, when an animal comes into our house, he immediately goes and just stands over the other dog and just looks at him intensely. Like, you gonna attack me? I'm ready to go, you know? Like just immediately. He went from this super loving dog, want to just 
play with another dog to like, I'm gonna stand right next to you and just wait for you to just, you know, show me a tooth and then I'm on you, right? So I have to go, you know, bring in a dog. I have to bring, <laughs> I have to bring the dog over and I pet Charlie and I pet the other dog and I'm like, hey, love one another. It's okay. We're shady, dog bit, you know, precarious, like cautious type people because we've experienced the bites and we have the scars to prove it. And that's a reality that we all exist in. And Jesus is saying, love one another, love one another, love one another. In 12 through 17, Jesus preaches into the lives of these disciples that have been marked by Jesus's community that they've lived in actually for three years. And he's preaching to them so that they'll take what they learn and they'll reproduce it in the future. Like that's what he's doing. And right now through this passage, he's, he's, he's tearing down certain parts of them and he's preaching to the rugged individualism in you. That's what he's doing. That we're bound together in worship for God and in this local church together, we're bound. You ever heard of the phrase, one like one bad grape spoils the whole bunch? That's true, it's true. You have a bad grape, throw it away. It spoils the whole bunch. Like there's a, there's a reality to us staying connected to the vine, not just like, so I can um, not spoil it for everybody, but like I'm, I'm receiving nutrients from you and you're receiving nutrients from me. So we should walk into every environment, therefore, every environment. Sunday, not as a critic, not as a, as somebody who's gauging if my buckets are getting full, but as somebody who's filling other buckets, right? Like who's saying, hey, how can I serve? How can I love one, somebody else and not just be tense and waiting for something to happen to me? Number three, a life of abiding is a life on mission. In my Bible heading, I don't know about yours, like, you know, we have these headings. They're not like... They're not like original, right? Like we just, we, commentators are putting these in for us, uh, most of them. So like in my Bible, it says the hatred of the world. I don't know what yours says for this section, 18 through 27, these verses. I, I wanna show you something this morning because I, I think as I was reading it this week, I really saw something sort of unique for the first time. Hatred of the world. Now, it's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's a lot of hatred historically for Christians in the world. Like, we need it. So I'm not trying to take that away. But I think how we've related to this section historically is to try to um, use it as an anecdote or use it as um, medicine for persecution. So I, I do not want to take that away from us this morning because it's there. It's probably the, the prevailing theme of it. But the context of that persecution is equally as important. And the life of abiding is a life on Jesus' mission. So let's look at this together. In verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before you. And the hate that Jesus experienced on earth was not just because his name was Jesus, right? Like it's not just that. It was because of what he was doing. It's because of what he was there to do, right? Like that's, that's the thrust 
of what he's saying in this passage is that he came to do some stuff. He came to say some stuff. And the world has hated him for it. And, and we're looking around, we're like, okay, the world's hated me, and so abiding means that the world is hating me? No, listen, abiding means you're doing what Jesus was doing, and the world hates you. It's his mission here that he's accomplishing as a servant, as he's laying down his life, and as he's saying the truth, a truth that he says in here is, is actually going to convict the world because he came. He's he's going to convict and and make guilty, guilty the world by what he's doing. They would have not been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse of their sin. The work that Jesus came to do, the things he came to do are why the world has hated him. Yes, he's God. Yes, Satan hates him. But I, I want you to see this, right? I want you to see this. It's not just because you're a Christian. It's not just because you're part of a church. Like you may in our culture catch some flack for that. You may, but it's not gonna be much. It's not gonna be much. You will be hated when you act like Jesus acted. You will be hated. And you need to be prepared in this world for that. More and more. There's no sideline anymore for Christianity in this culture. There's none. You will be forced to stand up and put your, your, yourself into a position where the world's hate will actually matter to you. It won't just be a motive. It'll be jobs. It'll be, it'll be real things in life. It'll be relationships. It'll be friendships. You live in that world right now. If you're, if you're sort of like, in some way, you're immune to that right now in your own life. Like it's, That is not the world that we live in anymore. This is a reality is that, a, that, that hatred is there for us as Christians. And the more that we are on God's mission, the more we're going to encounter that. Now, I'm not saying if you're not experiencing, it means you're not on God's mission. Like you're just kind of like, you know, taking, you know, taking seasons off or something. Like I'm not saying that necessarily. Maybe that's something God could say to you and you'd be open to it. But I am saying, like, it's hard to imagine in in the coming days and years that a Christian whose life is on God's mission won't experience persecution in your community. I think that's the reality. But it's being on God's mission that matters. Forget being hated. It's being on God's mission that matters. It's being his people. And what are his people doing? They're being witnesses. They're being witnesses of him of Christ, of speaking the truth, of pushing back darkness, of saying, hey, this is an evil practice and we're gonna say that it's evil. We're gonna say the truth. Like we're gonna stand up for what is wrong, what is against God's word. And and if you don't like that, fine, they hated Jesus. I think that's God's message to us this morning, that that's what abiding looks like, is like abiding means God's given you purpose and mission and place and standing and and realities and friendships and people are gonna hate you for it and it won't matter to you when you're abiding in him. Like this culture is drunk. It's drunk right now on darkness. I was watching TV in the middle of the day. I don't know why I did that. But in the middle of the day, and I was watching a, um, a talk show 
I've maybe only watched this talk show one other time in my life. And so I don't know any of the people on it. <clears throat> and they're talking about something that, like, if, if it, the darkness and the evil of this thing that they're talking about, I'm not going to tell you what it is because I want you to get the point, was so dark, like no Christian in the history of Christianity should look at this thing and say, that's, and not say, that's dark, that's evil. God hates that. Like, that's terrible. There's another way. Like, the thing that we're talking about was so dark and unimaginable that I'm hearing them just sort of having this conversation. And, and in the midst of it, one of them turns to the other one and says, I think the problem is, is that we have a bunch of Christians being radicalized. And I went, wait, hold up. Hold on a minute. What you're saying Christians believe, they've always believed that. For 2,000 years, no Christian has changed. So they're not the ones being radicalized here. They're not the ones who have changed. It's the culture that has changed into ever-increasing shades of darkness. Like, that's the reality. And so, so, so as, I, as I read this this week, and I'm just talking about abiding, it's not all devotions and quiet times. There's a reality there's a cost that's associated with abiding and living on God's mission puts you in that crosshair. It does. Jesus warns it. All the apostles warn you of it, that in this life we will have trouble. We will have trouble. And abiding in him means that it's all worth it. I'm going to wrap up here with a few things. One, I just want to share with you some um, real ideas what it means to abide here. And then I want to just share a few benefits. I just want to entice us this morning that there are benefits to abiding, man. It's like it's, there are real wonderful things. Abiding, though, it means union with Christ. Like, that's the doctrine. There's a lot of beautiful, big, thick, just awesome theological books on union with Christ. Uh, John Stott would be the guy that I would, I would go to. But union with Christ, that's what we're talking about. That's the theological term. Uh, the most simple way to think about it is Jesus has ascended. He is in the throne, like at the right hand of the Father where he makes intercession for the saints. He has sent the Spirit of God into the life of the believer. And we are not just like theoretically or mentally or psychologically. We are in a living, connected union with the vine. We are. It's, it's a bigger reality than any other reality in this world. You are connected with him, and that's what it means. We see it over and over again in scripture. We see a marriage in Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 5. We see the body of Christ connection, right? Union in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. The Bible's full of metaphors that continue to speak the same thing to you. A temple and a building, 1 Corinthians 3. New clothing in Romans 13, Colossians 3. A vine and branches that John shows us here, all to communicate what God is building in the local church united to his life. All to communicate that to us. Abiding then means believing that Jesus is the one who's doing that, that that's what he's accomplished at the cross. John told us in chapter six, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. 
He also calls Jesus the bread of life because he wants you to know your life is daily dependent upon him. It's daily dependent upon him. If you believe that, if you know Jesus, then you abide in Jesus and you will not perish. You will not perish. Abiding in Christ means abiding in his word. We've already talked about that this morning. John 8, he says, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John's building that case throughout his whole gospel that this is our life with the word of God. Abiding in Christ means obeying Christ's commandments. In John 14, we heard, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come into him and make our home in him. Abiding means living your life in the love of Christ. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love and love one another. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. The love of God is the sap throughout the entire vine and the branches. It flows one way. Do you know that sap only flows one way? It flows one way from God to us, from us to others. And so the results of this type of life is that the abider becomes fruitful. The person who's abiding becomes fruitful and God does it. In the first 11 verses of this chapter uh, 15, six times the idea of fruit, fruit bearing is mentioned. And it's never a command for you to bear fruit. You know why? You can't do it. Only God's spirit in you and you're trusting in Jesus can actually bear fruit and change and transform us. Like it's never like, hey, John, why don't you bear more fruit, right? Like that's not how scripture talks about it. We already talked about the prayer life of the abider, of the person abiding in Christ. It's more fruitful, it's more natural, it's more effective. Like we already have talked about that, that, that the Christian life is marked by it. Warren Wiersbe says about prayer that it's both the thermometer and the thermostat of the Christian life. It helps regulate our spiritual temperature, but it also registers the devotion of our heart. It's a profound thought that that's what prayer is in our lives. The abider lives in joy, peace, and freedom. Not perfection, not the absence of persecution, but joy, peace, and freedom. John already said in chapter eight that the truth will set us free. Like that's, that's what God's doing in Christ to give us freedom. But in verse 11 here, he shows us that the clear benefits of abiding are that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Where's your joy at this morning? Where's it at? Not happiness, not the temporal aspects, but even in the midst of temporal struggle, like where's your joy at in life? 
Like that's, a, I think, a thermostat also, right? Like that's, that's something that should, should show us is like, hey, in persecution, like I have some joy, I have some peace, I have some, something in here that, 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 that's, that's causing a spirit of freedom in my life and that's what abiding results in. And then finally, and maybe most importantly in verses 26 and 27, it says, but when the helper comes, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he'll bear witness about me and you also will bear witness. Hey, you could, you could just write above witness fruit. A fruitful Christian is a Christian who's witnessing and declaring the glory of God through their life. He, he it is will bear fruit through the Spirit because you've been with me from the beginning. And so like the one thing that I want to land on today is like the call isn't for you to bear fruit and God's doing this thing with his Spirit in us. And we're going to hear a lot more about that in the next few weeks, about the Spirit's role. But the call of Jesus is clear this morning to come to abide in him. Don't play games with what that looks like. It's clear in scripture what he's talking about. This is a life that's marked by abiding. So as you come today to the table and you take of the Lord's Supper, come to the Jesus who is saying to you, abide in me. Respond in that way this morning. We practice open communion here. And, and, and what we do is you come and line up in two lines here and, and you, will, you will hear this is his body broken for you. And you'll hear this is Christ's blood shed for you. Like Jesus died so you can experience life with him. And community that is unnatural, holy, a taste of eternal heaven. Life on mission, purpose in God's kingdom. Like that's why he died to bring us into that. Will you stand with me this morning as we respond to the word of God? If, if you're somebody who's like, man, I, I, my joy isn't full, my peace, I don't feel freedom. Like I, if you're somebody who's struggling, if you're somebody who just needs renewal, whatever you're, you're, you might feel today, then come to my left and your right and there'll be somebody even to pray for you here. Somebody who has God's spirit. Like, and if you feel in any way, like you just, you need to be connected more with Jesus today. Like just come over here, let them stand by you. Let them connect with you. Let them be the healthy grape that's, that's, that's pushing nutrients into you through their prayers and watch God work through their prayers. Watch God work through their prayers. We all need to be in this spot. We all do. So come as you feel ready. Father, we love you. And Lord, we pray this morning that as we um, respond in worship, that you would um, do that work, that you would renew and that you would um, overcome. That you would um, overcome, Lord, the places in our lives that we feel dead, where we feel diminished. We pray that you would do that. Renew us by your spirit. Lord, I pray that, that we would walk this aisle and that when we return to our seat, that we would have a renewed vigor, excitement for following you this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Come as you feel ready.